You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. We're going to look at a passage where Paul talks about wisdom and foolishness and the world's wisdom versus uh, the seemingly God's, God's wisdom and how the wisdom of the world sometimes shames the wisdom of Christ, how the, the true wisdom of this world often shames those that don't believe. It's a pretty powerful passage. So we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Paul's just writing to the Corinthians. He had, he had been there in person, and he, and he left. He's probably in Ephesus, is what most scholars think. And he's writing back to the Corinthians, and he says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing. He resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. Like if he's honest, if he's literally, if if he's speaking literally, like he came to them and when he spoke, he was in weakness and fear and trembling. It'd be like, have you ever like seen like a really bad public speaker, like trembling and in fear and everyone just makes everyone feel uncomfortable and you're just like, oh gosh, this is horrible. Like, that's what I imagine. Like, he came to them almost humbling himself in such a way. T- and here's the reason. Uh, verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and pers- persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest upon men's wisdom, but upon God's power. Let's pray this morning. God, we open up our minds to you. God, we thank you for the, the word of God that you've given to us, these letters and the documents of the Bible and the, the Gospels. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you've made known to us, especially as the Mill Sunday School, as we gather to learn more about you and learn theology and doctrine and truth. God, we praise you that we, we can be given uh, open hearts and open minds to understand the truth that has been revealed to those that believe. And so, God, we thank you. We, we give you all honor this morning. And everybody screamed, Amen. Amen. Uh, someone told Glenn Packiam, uh, I, I want to be a pastor, but I don't want to go to Bible school. And you guys know Glenn Packiam? He's the, he's the pastor of the Sunday night service. He is uh, uh, a worship leader, extravaganza. And he's, ri- he's written two books. He know if you ever have a conversation with Glenn Packiam, you know that the dude is really, really smart. He's got his education. He reads tons of books. He's always telling me about another book he just read. And he's just brilliant. And so he's meeting with uh, a person, and they, they tell him, you know, I, I feel as though I'm really called to be a pastor, but I don't want to go to Bible school, or I, I don't want to go to Bible school. And and Glenn said this, and I'm sure he said it in a very nice way, because he's Glenn and he's a really nice, godly man. But he said this, he said, saying you want to be a pastor but not wanting to go to Bible school is like saying you want to be a doctor and not go to a medical school. Or saying you want to be an accountant but not learn anything about business, not go to school for accounting. And, and the person's response was, oh, you know, well, Jesus, you know, they're, they're going back and forth maybe. And, and, and Glenn said that the, the person said that, uh, you know, well, Jesus' disciples never went to school. Why, why should I go to school? You know, Jesus' disciples were the best disciples ever. You know, they're huge missionaries. They didn't have college, and yet, you know, God used them to pastor and to, to spread the name and the fame of God. And Glenn's response was, well, you know, the disciples of Christ, uh, they, as Jewish, as Ju- in first century Judaism, it was very common for every Jewish boy to learn to memorize the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? Many of you do. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Where is it? Right here. This much of the Bible Little Jewish boys at an early age and then on to like their high school years, teenage years, would memorize the Torah, memorize the first five books of the Bible. Is that, in, is that insane to anyone else? Does that just boggle your mind that like all little boys, yeah, what do they learn? Well, they, we don't do math or, you know, English because they didn't speak English. <laughs> they didn't do science or uh, whatever. They learned the Torah. They memorized the first five books these books. Is anyone else fascinated by that? 
That like the, the, the human mind and memorizing and how much this culture was, was a culture of, you know, telling each other stories and, you know, not so much writing but memorizing and, and rehearsing these things. Um, I'm teaching a Corinthians class uh, every Tuesday night in this, on the college level, and I gave them extra credit if they wanted to memorize uh, the, the ch- chapter about love, 1 Corinthians 13. And so this, this guy, in one week, he, he said he didn't memorize it before, he memorized all of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's 13 verses, he memorized it in one week. That's pretty cool. His, main, his name is Matt Timmemeyer. His Facebook says he's single, ladies. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, he memorized those 13 verses in one week. The Torah is 5,852 verses. That's like memorizing 13 verses a week and not stopping, just another 13 every week for 8.5 years. That's a lot of learning. And so while Jesus' disciples may not have had a diploma on their wall, they had, in what is my opinion, a college degree just from memorizing the Torah. So Glenn and this person are kind of going back and forth and saying, you know, Jesus' disciples were never educated. Uh, Why do I need to be educated to be a pastor? And Glenn's response is, they were very educated. They memorized the Torah and knew the Old Testament scriptures so well. And besides all that, they studied under the greatest rabbi who has ever come or will ever come for at least three years of of their learning as they were disciples of Jesus. So they were very educated to be be, uh, in full-time ministry, to be, let's say, a pastor. And so um, I, I have in my heart, as a lot of you know, I just received my doctorate, is, is, this, is this heart for, and this love for learning and education. And I kind of want to, that's kind of one of the purposes of, of Sunday school, to bring that into here and to disciple and to share wisdom and learning about God. And the passage that I just read, um, it's fascinating. The First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Um, these same exact verses, uh, I found out that Brady Boyd is speaking on these verses today. And I'm, I was teaching on these today, and I was like, man, he's going to do—we're he, both picking the same. Maybe I should pick something else. And I thought, well, maybe God is, to, is doing something, and he just wants this passage to be made known today. So when you go into the big church and this passage read, is read, you'll know that maybe God is doing something and showing us as the Mill Sunday School and then going into the big church, you know, something about this passage— and um, this passage comes in the context of, of Paul saying, you know, I, I didn't come to you with eloquence or with rhetoric is what, is what a lot of scholars would say. You know, Paul wasn't using the best wisdom of the age, but he came with power. And what's amazing is that this whole passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul does use rhetoric. He's using rhetoric, this Greek way, and we talked about this last month if you were here, this Greek, Greek way of uh, explaining or speaking, uh, writing in stanzas and prose. He's, he's doing it beautifully to say that it's not needed. And so I wanted to go dive right into the heart of a passage that kind of seemingly says, you don't need wisdom, you don't need to think, you don't need to use your head to be a Christian. Because some, someone may use this passage and say, I don't need education. I don't need to go to Sunday school. I don't need to read my Bible. Uh, I, I have God's power. I don't need wisdom. But Paul, even though Paul is saying that, you have to realize that Paul himself was extremely educated, a teacher of teachers, um, someone who also had memorized the Torah. As a rabbi, he probably memorized the entire Old Testament, could quote it just from memory and, and, and on and on. And, and he knew it. It was in his heart. He's speaking with wisdom as he says, the wisdom of this world shames Christ's wisdom. So I wanted to dive right into this passage and say that while Christ's wisdom is greater than the world's wisdom, we can't just say, yeah, we don't need any education. We don't need theology. All we need is God. All we need is the Bible. It's like if we're going to truly know who God is, then we need to know the Bible. We need to know and to study and do theology to know God. And so I'm going to, I'm going to continue with that point today, but that's, that's kind of the big point if you're taking notes, that, that we do need wisdom and theology and thinking when, when it comes to knowing who God is. That's the big point today. But before we do that, some announcements, shall we? If you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, there are on your tables uh, things that say uh, first-timer cards. You can fill that out. Give it to the nice people in the back as you leave. They'll give you a gift uh, just to thank you for coming. And, um, and the, the second great announcement is the Mill Fall Retreat. It's a pretty big deal. How many of you are going? Don't be shy. 
That's like more than half. That's awesome. If, if, why don't you turn, all, the, all those that are going, raise your hand. All those that are, have also gone before, raise your hand, keep your hands raised. Sweet. All of you with your hands raised, turn to somebody that doesn't have their hand raised and say, I invite you to come. Right now, do it. <laughs> the Mill Fall Retreat is happening. Do you know that there's, there's this Sunday, then there's two more Sundays, and then that's Fall Retreat. So Fall Retreat's really just like two weeks away. So go to Mill Fall Retreat. There'll be no Mill. There'll be no Sunday school. It's our event of the year. We'll, we'll have, basically, we'll have Sunday school up there because I get to teach on Sunday morning at Fall Retreat. So if you want to come to Mill Sunday School, come to the Mill Fall Retreat. It's awesome. You should definitely go. Get on the bus. If you don't know anybody and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I just don't know. I'm going to get on a bus. I'm not going to know anybody. Trust me. It is the best thing you can do. You'll meet lots of people from the bus ride all the way up there. We play uh, somewhat silly games just for a little while, and you get to meet people. And so don't worry. If you don't know anybody at all, you should definitely come because you will meet tons and Chickity check, check. Everybody, big round of applause for Patrick. Woo! Yeah, Patrick. Patrick's our Sunday school core leader and tech dude and really cool guy. Um, anyways, okay, so that's your announcements. Fall retreat. Um, next month, every new month in the Mill Sunday School is a new topic. Next month, we're going to be talking about hermeneutics, this big word for how do we interpret the Bible and read the Bible. And so that's just a little heads up for you. But, um, Let's get into uh, kind of where we've been and where we're going this month. Because we've, we've titled this month uh, Doctrine. And uh, we started off this month by saying that doctrine is not a bad word. Often people have this idea that doctrine means, oh, an authority is telling you what to believe. And telling you, this is orthodox. This is our doctrine. You must believe this or you're not a part of us. And it, it, it can have this bad rap as this bad word that Christians use to point their finger. And, and we talked about how every time you tell someone what you believe, you're actually just doing doctrine. And so we need to do doctrine to tell people what we believe and explain why the Bible is true. And then we went on to truth. We talked one, one whole Sunday, we talked about what is truth? How do we define truth? Is truth absolute? And we decided, yes, it is. Truth is absolute. Two contradictory things can't be true. The Christian religion and the Buddhist religion can't both be true. Either Jesus is Lord or he's not and Buddha has the right way. Two contradictory things cannot both be true. Talked about truth. We talked about how we get truth with um, the the Wesleyan quadrilateral. If you were here last time, we talked about how you get truth through uh, the Bible and experiencing truth and the community of people and using your own head, using reason. We can come to, to find what is true. And so today... If you're taking notes, this is probably, in the history of Mill Sunday School lessons, this is probably going to be the most headiest lesson you've ever had in the Mill Sunday School. And so some of you like that. So, to some of you, it's going to be like a boar fest, because it's going to be boring and it's a fest, so boar fest, just made up that word. Thank you. Um, but hopefully, in some ways, it'll be challenge, mentally challenging. And so get ready to take lots of notes today. Um, basically, what I'm going to do is uh, tell you what um, systematic theology is. And so if you've ever wondered, if someone's like, oh yeah, systematic theology, blah, 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 and you have no idea what they're talking about, after today, you will know exactly what the system of systematic theology is. So it's going to be a very heady, very brainy lesson. If you get bored, just like pinch yourself or get another cup of coffee. Um, but, but get ready for uh, what the system of systematic theology is. And some people just think, you know, when they hear the term theology, they just think of like some scholar sitting in a room reading books and smoking pipes and whatever else scholars do. And um, it's, not, it's not that at all. It's, theology is, is, everyone's a theologian. Everyone is a theologian because we all have thoughts about who God is. 
When we, when we come to an understanding of what doctrine is and what our doctrine is, what we believe about the Bible, we're doing theology. So in some ways, I'm going to take off a little pressure of, you know, this whole theology thing. And, and, and we're going to learn a system. And the system of systematic theology is, I believe, pretty awesome, pretty cool. And it's, in some ways, you could look at it and you could leave today and say, man, all that was was putting theology and God in a box. And in some ways, it, it would, I would never say that. I would never say, oh yeah, we're putting God in a box. That's what we do. Like, no, we're not doing that. What we're doing is organizing and systemizing the topics of theology to come to the understanding of theology in somewhat of an orderly fashion way, almost to follow the rules of doing theology. For instance, if you want to be a musician, don't you have to follow the rules of music, like what notes sound good together and what notes don't sound good together? Like you have to know the rules in order to make music. Now, all musicians will tell you, well, you have to break some of the rules, but you don't start off playing music by breaking all the rules. It'll sound like nonsense. You start off by learning the rules and learning the notes and what notes sound good together. You learn the rules, then you can break as many as you want and, and know the patterns that, that are breaking the rules but also sound good. Same thing with like artists and, and painters. You know, you don't just start with a bunch of paint and start smearing out. Well, I guess you do, but you just as a kid. But if you really want to get into art, if you want to be an art major, there's so many, you don't just paint all day. You have to go to art history classes. You have to learn composition and colors and what looks good together. And you learn and you study the people that have gone before you. You kind of follow the rules so that you know the rules so that eventually you could break the rules if you want to. But you start off with this foundation. You start off with what is, you know, organized and correct. And um, the same thing with writers. You know, writers, if you want to be a great writer, what's the best advice? Start reading. You need to read if you want to be a great writer. Write as you go, but read those that, are the, those that have gone before you and are great writers. Um, same thing with theologians. If you want to be a good theologian, and, and, and I just called all of us in here theologians because we think about God. I would even go so far as to say, even if you, you know, don't believe in God, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you're still in some senses a theologian because you're thinking about God. It, you might come to the conclusion, if you're an atheist, that he doesn't exist, but you're still in some ways doing theology. You're talking about God and existence and why we're here. And so everyone's a theologian. So if you want to be a good theologian, you need to learn some rules. Later on, you could break the rules and think for yourself. But today is going to be the rules of systematic theology. Does that sound fun to you? Yeah. It sounds fun to me. Even though it's going to be a very heady lesson in here, um, it, it, I'm excited about it. There's a quote on the back of your skillet. If you turn it over, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It comes from one of his great books called Mere Christianity. It's a very popular... Raise your hand if you've read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Quite a few hands. It's, it's a great book. It's, it's basically the, um, his you know, gist of Christianity and going into explaining why he's a Christian. But he says this. He says, If you don't listen to theology, that will not mean that you won't have any ideas about God. It will mean that you will have a lot of wrong ideas about God. Bad, muddled, out-of-date ideas. Basically, a.k.a. C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, if you don't give a hoot about theology, you don't listen to good theology, that doesn't mean you won't have any thoughts about God. That means, if you don't listen or do theology or think about theological things, then that means you will have poor or bad or wrong theological thoughts and ideas about who God is. And so, here's what we're going to do. I want you to all think of a question. Now, we're not going to answer these questions, but I want you to think of something to do with a theological question of some sort. It could be about the Bible, could be about Jesus, could be about anything, anything, anything pertaining to anything about God or church or Bible or anything we do in church. I want you to think of a question. Maybe you don't have the answer to this question. Maybe someone has asked you a question one day. They're like, hey, what's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, man, I have no idea. Um, I need to figure that out or go look at my Bible. I want you to think of a question, any question that you have. Maybe a good question. Some questions are better than others. Some are more feel theologically, you know, grounded or have more importance. Um, but I want you to think of any, it could be a silly question. Any question you want, I want you to think of a question. Is everyone thinking? Like, what's a question? Any question. And then I want you to share your question with some peeps around you, whether you're at a table or, or you're back there. Just share what you have. Maybe they have a similar question. Maybe they have a completely different question. 
And I just want to get some questions. What we're going to do after you think of your own question, talk to some peeps about your question. We're going to, I want 15, we're going to write down like 15 really good questions up here. Just questions. We're not going to answer them. We're just going to have questions. Then we're going to organize them. It's going to be awesome. So you got it? Everyone think of a question. Ready, get set, go. Let me just give you like a couple seconds to wrap up talking about your question that you have. Okay, uh, we're gonna, you're just gonna tell me what question you have. And I, I have 15 up here. I think we're gonna put it on up there. It's like this uh, seemingly magical, because of technology magical, not real magic, because that would be weird. It'd be like, God. anyways, it, it appears on the whiteboard up there. Anyways, um, so we're, I want to hear at least 15 questions. We're gonna write them down. I have really bad handwriting and I kind of panic when it comes to spelling. So I'm having my wife come up. She's really cool. She's going to write your questions down. Come on up. Um, and, and so, uh, Erica, my wife, is really cool. Yeah. Um, so, well, we were going to do the microphones, but I think the microphones take too long. So I, I need you to be bold, stand up, and just ask a question. It could be the most random thing. It could be just like the question that came before it. Whatever. Somebody want to start us off? Yes, sir. Did Je- could he have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? That is a really good question. Thank you. Another one. Yes, sir. What is the emotional? Oh, does God have emotions? Maybe if he's eternally the same, if he's unchanging, does God have emotions? Good question. Yes. <laughs> That's a good question. Why is the Manasseh called the half tribe? Of Manasseh, that's why. That's why she's writing this, and not me. Because uh, just a M, Manasseh. I don't know how to spell it either. Why is the? I don't even know what that means. Why is Manasseh called a half tribe? Yeah, that's good. That's. I mean, it's a. It's a legitimate question. Don't laugh at her question. It's a good question. There's no such thing as a bad question. Yes, Vern, stand up for us. 
Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Tomato, tomato. Good question. Who's Melchizedek for number four? <laughs> Anybody else? We need a bunch more. Yes, Sarah, and then and then you. Go ahead. How is God always existent? That's a good one. How is God always existent for number five? <laughs> Melchizedek, close enough. So how, number five is how is God always existent? Yes. Will the rapture, pre-trib or post-trib, basically is what you're asking. Will the rapture happen before or after or mid-trib? Yeah, what about mid-trib or just pre or post? We'll just throw that up there. So number five was uh, how is God, number five is how is God pre-existent? Yeah, Melchizedek is close enough. (laughs) How is God pre-existent? Right? Was that your, Sarah? Or no, whose question was that? How is, the, how is God always existent? How is God always existent? And then the pre, pre-trib, post-trib is that one. And then you had one. No, yeah, go ahead. Oh, how can we, so if we were to summarize, how is, basically it's free will versus our choice. Our, I mean, our choice versus sovereignty. Sovereignty or free will. Maybe that's the best way. So number it would be six, sovereignty versus free will, summarized. Yes? So there are only two of everything animal on the earth, right? Well, um, every unclean animal on the earth, what did um, the carnivores eat? If there's only two of the unclean animals? Oh, yeah, so if there's only two, if God, uh, if they took two sheep, and there, but there's also two lions, what did the lions eat? That's a good question. <laughs> Don't eat those sheep. We need those. It's <laughs> a really good question. All right. Uh, other questions? We, we still need a bunch more, like seven-ish more. So, yes, sir. Jake. Oh, that's good. So did Jesus, was Jesus separate from God when he uh, was crucified? Did he separate? Good. Yes, sir. And then you. In our sinful state, are we totally depraved? Is there anything good in us if we're sinful? Do we go, can we come to God with anything good of our own? That's good. So maybe, um, is there any good in us? Maybe would be a very summarized way to put it up here. Is there any good in us for number 10-ish? Good job writing. It's a lot of writing. My hand would be all cramped by now. Yes, sir. Oh, so did, did maybe, maybe a, a more summary question is, does God change his mind? Yeah, let's summarize it to that. Does God change his mind? One, two, three, four more. Yes, please. Okay, so yeah. Is, is Adam and Eve literal for the first human beings? Does every, are we all brothers and sisters? Really? Like, not really, but like way back, really. Good question. Adam and Eve, question mark, maybe. Yes, Jason. So how, basically, how do we interpret the Bible? Yeah, who has the correct interpretation of the Bible? It's good, yeah. Anybody else? We need two more-ish. Yes. What happened to the Nephilim? Yeah, what in the world? Do you guys know what the Nephilim are? Those ancient giant things? Yes, were they six-fingered? Weird. Yes, sir. How does God allow... Ooh, very good question. How does God allow sinners into heaven without messing up heaven? Good question. Very good. I think that's it. That's all of our questions. That's 15. We we put some more up, but we're like totally out of space. Can you guys see that on the board? Kind of. <laughs> it just looks like a bunch of black ink. Wait, that yeah, that one's not making it. But you could kind of see it. No, you're fine. 
Yeah, it's straight on the board, but it looks really crooked up there. But I mean, it's hard. I mean, all this writing. What a, she did a great job, don't you think? No, you're good. Thank you so much. She's a really good writer. Um, so here's so we have all these questions on the board. Very, potentially very random questions about random different things. To me, it helps if there's a system to organize them. And so there, here's questions. I'm going to talk about order, and then I'm going to put some order on the board, and then we're going to order these questions. So bear with me for a second. But when I was in college, uh, way back in the day, um, I graduated with a biology degree. Biology is the study of life. Bio plus logi. Logi is usually the study of. Bio is life. So it's the study of life. And if you've ever taken a biology class in high school or in college, you usually start off with um, classifying the life. I mean, you Look around. It's like everything is living in here, including the bacteria and everything. There's plants. And you look outside and you're like, oh, there's plants and there's, there's trees and there's, you know, fungi and all this stuff, all these living beings. How in the world do we even begin to talk about it? How in the world do we even begin to, to talk about, you know, because we have to get into ecology and things like that. Where does it begin? Well, usually biology courses begin with the classification of life. And it starts off with kingdoms. And there's usually uh, six kingdoms, you know, the animals, the plants, the funguses, the protista, these one-celled organisms. And then there's now like two types of bacteria that we've classified into organizing in these kingdoms. And then after the kingdoms, there's the there, yes, I hear it, the phylum. And so like if it's an animal, then does it have a uh, spine or no, no spine, exoskeleton or endoskeleton, or if it's a plant, you know, is it, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is it monocot or dicot or blah, blah, blah. And so you get into the kingdoms, the phylums, and it goes down to, um, you know, the animals and the, and the, uh, it gets down to, excuse me, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. And so it gets very specific for organizing things and into segments. And so at least you can know, like if you see an insect, if you see a bug, and you're just like, wow, that's a weird bug, you could at least have some description of classifying it, of organizing it, of, of, of taking the world and giving it some order. And to me, that's comforting. To me, that says, okay, we as, we as human beings and thinking about all of life, biology, the study of all of life, we can at least classify things and organize them into a system. And once the system is in place, then we could talk about, oh, maybe the ecosystem and how the birds interact with the plants and how the plants interact with uh, other animals and how they eat the insects and then the insects eat other bacteria and on and on and on. But it begins with this classification, this system that is needed. And so here's a good question for you. What is more complex, the creation or the creator? That's not a trick question. God is much more complex, right, than his creation. I mean, if there are now, someone's, we have classified 1.4 million different kinds, species uh, of, of species of in existence, in the, in the five kingdoms. And that's a lot of different species. Some people estimate that there's even more, like, you know, like different classifications of different bacterias. There could be up to 10 million different kinds of species on this planet. That's a lot of species. And so how do we begin to organize and classify all those things and then come to it with theology and say, okay, theology, what's more complex, the study of biology or the study of God himself? Well, the study of God himself, the one who created these things, is infinitesimally more complex. I mean, if we can know the mind of God, wow. I mean, who, I mean, when it comes down to like, why does insects have six legs? Like, well, that's a great question. But then it comes down to like some of these questions. Like these questions have to do with like the meaning and the purpose of life. They're bigger because they're about a bigger thing. God is bigger than his creation. And so therefore, theology in some ways needs a system. Are you ready to learn systematic theology Yes, me too. And so, the system of systematic theology comes from about the Middle Ages. There was this homeboy named Peter Lombard, pretty cool name. He was the Bishop of Paris way back in the day. And he wrote a book uh, in the Middle Ages, about the, the 1100s, called The Four Sentences. And in it, he describes theology. He needs very orderly about how he orders his theology. He has an order 
to, to a system to talking about theology. And that system begins to catch on. In fact, so much so that from the 1200s until the 16th century, no work except for the Bible itself was commented upon more frequently. And so Luther, Calvin, Aquinas, all quoted from him oftentimes, again and again, using his theology, using his system. And so this system has stood the test of time. So in your notes, if you're looking in your notes, the notes are long ways today because it's an an insane amount of notes. There are nine topics. Starts with prolegomena, ends with eschatology. Doing theology in that order is systematic theology. Have you ever wondered the system of systematic theology? Like, why is it called a system? That's the system. Organizing theology in those nine topics in that way is systematic theology. And so if someone ever asks you, hey, what's systematic theology compared to just regular theology? You would say, well, systematic theology is following the system that's been developed since the Middle Ages of doing theology, putting things, organizing them in such a way, classifying them in such a way that makes sense to people. And so here's the order. I'm gonna, on this side, I'm now going to do the nine topics of systematic theology. Is that okay? Is this going over your head? Is it too much for you to handle Mill Sunday School? No way! <laughs> All right, I'm just trying to rally you up because I know this lesson is very heady and I don't want to bore you. Um, but here, so I'm going to do nine. These are the nine topics. Two, three. And they're written down for you so you don't have to write them down. You already know how to spell them. But I'll go through each one and talk about it and then you could write some notes down. And then here's the fascinating thing we're going to do. We're, every single one of these questions the ideas and the things behind them can be classified into one of these nine systematic theology topics. And to to me, that's like comforting. I'm like, okay, well, at least there's a system for classifying my questions. Like when it comes to, you know, biology, and you look at, you found, you know, they found this new species of ant, and you're like, wow, this is awesome. At least, you know, you could classify it so far and say, at least it's an animal, it's an invertebrate, it's it's a type of ant, this species of the family of ants, so it's also another ant. That, to me, is comforting, don't you think? Anyways, here's the system of systematic theology. It starts with prolegomena. Everyone say prolegomena. Prolegomena. It's still so slanted. What How's it slanted? I mean, that's like perfectly straight. Anyways. Oh my gosh, the whole camera slanted. That's what's going on. Anyways, we'll figure it out. Prolegomena is the preliminary discussions, especially in formal thinking, to introduce a work. And so, every if you go into the library, if you own, maybe if your parents own, if someone who's a friend owns a systematic theological textbook, they will all follow this order to the T, with very few exceptions. We'll get into the exceptions later. But they, every systematic theology, theological textbook will start somewhere. Everyone's theology, when they're writing, doing theology in the system, has to begin somewhere. Thomas Aquinas, this ancient, uh, middle, uh, in the Middle Ages, he wrote a systematic theology. He, he thought we should start with, let's prove the existence of God. From that foundation, we'll then build. And so Thomas Aquinas has these famous five proofs of God. Prolegomena is your beginning point. Do you begin with the Bible's true? Do you begin with there is a God? Do you begin with there's truth? Where do you begin in talking about systematic theology? That's what you would talk about. That's where you would, you would uh, begin. So the questions pertaining to prolegomena would be questions like, uh, you, could talk, you could do maybe this one, has God always existed? You could do into prolegomena. That might also go into theology, but we'll get to that. Uh, Jesus separate any good in us, carnivores, Adam and Eve interpretation. Interpretation of the Bible would go up into prolegomena. Like, how do we interpret the Bible? What does the Bible, is it just truth, or how do we know it's true? Um, and so the, maybe mainly those two questions would, would be in prolegomena. You could answer those questions when you're doing prolegomena. So far, so good? Okay, we've got a long ways to go, so hold on tight. Theology, number two. Theology. Theology is literally what? Study of God. Theo, the Greek word for God, and logi, that's kind of the study of, or logos. And so theology is where we would specifically talk about who God is. 
And so theology can mean very specifically the study of God, or it could mean, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, who we are in God's eyes, well, we're also kind of doing theology in a big sense. But this term in, in, in this is specific to who God is, what God has done, his characteristics, his attributes. And so does God have emotions or is he always the same? That would go into this one. Maybe I'll cross these off as we go. Five, thirteener. The Nephilim, let's see. Adam and Eve, does God change his mind? That would definitely go into number two. Any good inside of us, that would be something else. Jesus, carnivores, sovereignty versus free will, get into that. And, okay, yeah. So those questions go into who God is or what he has done. And so that's theology. The next topic is creation. Creation. I think a lot of the questions are actually going to fall into this which is the study of what God has made. And we, could, we usually say that God uh, created ex nihilo, this Latin word for out of nothing. And when we're talking about creation, we could talk about how he created, what he created. Um, we, we can get into topics like evolution versus creation. It all kind of gets lumped into this third topic of creation. Um, and so a lot of these are going to fall into that. Like... Um, uh, Maybe not. Oh, yeah, the, the carnivores on the ark would probably go on there. Like, how did that happen? Uh, let's see. Who is Jesus? Uh, Twelve. Adam and Eve are, make us. Are we all related? That's going to go into the next one, I believe. The Nephilim might go into this one. Creation. So let's see. We got this one down. What do the carnivores eat on the ark? Great question. Um, bam. All right. I think that would be about it. Maybe we'll go back and get into more. Number four is uh, anthropology. Not the cool, trendy store in the mall. It is, anthropology is what, literally? The study of man. Stay with me. The study of human beings. How we are created. In another word is imago Dei. The, the, the image of God. That we are different than the, than the rest of creation because we have something called the image of God inside of us. And what exactly that means, it's, it's a part of the, doing theology and how that works. And so a lot of these fall into anthropology, possibly, like sovereignty, free will. Um, how does that work? Um, maybe who is Melchizedek would fall into, you know, who, what did he do? And I guess... <laughs> would fall into who mankind and how he was created, God's plan inside of us. Uh, is there any good inside of us? Would definitely go into anthropology, number four. Um, Adam and Eve, that, that I saved this one for anthropology because Adam and Eve you know, would fall into the doctrine of who we are as human beings. And uh, potentially, how could sinners go to heaven? I'm going to save that one for, for another topic, but right now, just hold on to that. So number five is Christology. Are you beginning to see an order in all this? We're studying from, from the broad, from prolegomena, like where in the world do we start doing theology, to God himself, and then God's creation, then a subset of creation, us, and then number five, how we are related directly to God through Jesus Christ, how God was both human and man at the same time, number five. And so Christology would have any question to do with uh, Jesus. For instance, number one, a great question, could he have sinned? As Christians, we would say, the Bible says that he was without fault. He did not sin, but could he have sinned? And so that would fall into there. Um, is there any of Jesus? Was Jesus separate from God? Number nine would go into Christology. Um, I think that would be about it. So does this, we're beginning to, all these questions are following into at least a system of coming out and saying, how do we at least organize these questions? Hopefully this is, in some ways, this, I, I realize this is a very heady lesson, probably the headiest lesson you will ever get in the Mill Sunday School but I want to bring this to you and just say there is order in all of theology as we are studying these things. And by the way, if you look at like the, the website or the topics that we're going to do this month uh, and next month, this whole year, every new month is a new topic. Most of these topics are, are one of these 
ologies, eschatology is in there. I think that's in November. Ecclesiology is in there. Uh, theology is in there. So basically, if you come to the Middle Sunday School, you know, we're not going to get to any of these questions today. We're just going to organize them, but we will answer many questions in the Middle Sunday School as we progress. Let's continue. Uh, the next one after Christology is soteriology, a very fun big word. G, which we are actually, this is our topic for in the spring, April. We'll be talking about soteriology in the month of uh, April when it's Easter. And uh, soteriology is the study of salvation. And so potentially, how could sinners go to heaven without messing it up would be a great question for soteriology. How in the world could a sinner, someone who is separate from God, go to God? How, how do they get saved? How does salvation work? How are they cleaned of their sins enough so to be with God? Because that's what heaven's about. So a great question for soteriology. Um, potentially, the, 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 yeah, I'm just going to hold, yeah, so I'm just going to say that that's the only question right now for, for number seven, or number six. Number seven is pneumatology. which is the study of what? The Holy Spirit. I heard one person say it. Outstanding. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. And so in uh, March, we're going to take a whole month and talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And so I'm giving you these big words, defining these big words, so that when you look at the Sunday school syllabi for the year, and you're looking at it and you're like, what's pneumatology? You will know clearly, without even thinking, it's the study of the Holy Spirit. And I don't see any questions up here related to the Holy Spirit. Do you? Not really. Okay, that, and that's okay. If we, we did a lot more questions, I'm sure some of you would start asking questions about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, or who the Holy Spirit is, or the Holy, is the Holy Spirit God? Questions like that would fall into pneumatology. Number eight, ecclesiology. This is the topic that uh, I guess in some ways you could say Brady Boyd is talking about uh, this this uh, in his series, the tribe of church, because esch- excuse me, ecclesiology is study of the church, the study of the ecclesia, the assembly, and I would put the the whole Manasseh question, which is a tribe of Judah, and, and what you know the tribes of Judah in the Old Testament could be compared to the church today. So I would at least just ca- in categorizing this question, put it in with. Uh, ecclesiology and how church works, maybe an Old Testament view of church. And um, so that's ecclesiology, the study of the church. And finally, a really cool topic, eschatology. Eschaton literally means goal. So the study of the goal, the study of the end times and the goal of all creation is basically what that means. So eschatology would have to do with the end times, this last question that we have, I think all of the rest are marked off. Pre-trib, post-trib would go into eschatology. Is, you know, at the end of the world, is there going to be a tribulation? If there is a tribulation, if there is a rapture, which one happens first? The rapture is when, you know, have you seen the Left Behind series where everyone just disappears and there's like watches and cool clothes laying everywhere? <laughs> That's like an artist picture of that happening. But anyways, uh, the rapture, is it pre-trib, post-trib? All those kinds of questions, including questions about heaven and hell and what's, is there, you know, what's heaven going to be like and you know, what's the judgment going to be like. Those are all questions having to do with eschatology. And so, you just experienced one of the headiest Sunday school lessons you can ever have, at least I'll ever teach, because it's just so much. I mean, look at the board. It looks like a mess right now. And for some reason, it's blue up there, but red up here. That is pretty wild. Anyways, um, to me, this system at least gives us guidelines. Now, when a theologian sits down and begins to write, you know, if if someone's coming from a Pentecostal background, if someone's coming from a a Calvinistic background, they they could sit down and write their theology. In fact, I know of one theologian that, that changes the order and writes and talks about the Holy Spirit before salvation because he says that the main goal of the Holy Spirit is to draw those people to Christ for salvation. So he talks, he changes the order a little bit. But knowing this order, in my mind, is like knowing the rules of music. If you know the rules of music, the, the how it's organized and how it should flow, you know, chorus, bridge, chorus, whatever the, the rules of music are, you will be a good theologian. This lesson is about being 
a good theologian, and at least having, having a clue as to how to begin to ask, answer some of these questions. You know, and so if you're answering, you know, did, did, did God, can God change his mind? At least you could begin to think about that and say, well, that's a theological, literally, the study of God question because it pertains to God's, uh, who he is, his attributes and characteristics. And so, that's a, I mean, that's, that's about all I got. And, and it, the, the analogy is a, a backyard. If you, if you have some kids and a dog and you have a backyard the backyard backs right up to like thousands and thousands of acres of forest. Where are the kids going to play? They're going to play like right next to the house because they don't want to go out there and get lost or t- attacked by a bear. They want to be like right there <laughs> playing in the sandbox. It's like touching right close to the house. But if you build a fence in your backyard, immediately, where do the dogs and kids play? All, they use the whole yard. They play in the whole yard. They go to the end of the fence. They're running all around. They feel safe. And so in some ways, this is a safe way of doing theology, at least a, a way of organizing the God of this universe in such a way that we as humans can at least begin to grasp it. We are by no means putting God in a box by doing systematic theology, but we're at least coming to theological things and at least putting them in an organized structure so that our minds can wrap around them. And, um, yeah, I think I only have like two minutes left. So how does it feel to be talked at for like 45 minutes and all this stuff? You guys doing okay? Okay. Hopefully you are. Hopefully, hopefully this will in some ways help. And if anyone ever asks you what systematic theology is, you will clearly tell them. It's a, it's a system. We're not putting God in a box. We're organizing all of theological things into, into a system so that we could begin to answer questions and talk about things. So, let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you for us as human beings, how you've given us a mind, how you've given us thoughts, and how we can come to you with our minds. We don't have to check our minds at the door when we come to church. We don't have to be silly or we don't have to just say oh we can't understand things but you have given us a mind so that we can understand the mysteries and the truths that you've laid on this earth god allow us to to open up our hearts and our minds to you to you alone that we can learn directly from you god if it's by this system that you want to help us to understand the things that you've created and the things that you've done on this earth then use the system but god we eagerly we we earnestly desire you and you alone we desire your truth We desire your power inside of our life. We desire your forgiveness and and your goodness and your love inside of our life. So God, we love you. We praise you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, my friends, if you're new, turn in your visitor cards, slap some high fives and meet people. The big church doesn't start for like another half hour. So I want to see like a bunch of high fives. Ready to set go.